No other book has so profoundly impacted so many lives as the Bible. Welcome to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. Today we see in Solomon's Song of Songs where the husband again praises his wife for her beauty. She initiates their lovemaking by spending the night in a country village and vineyard. We hope you'll join us as Pastor Daryl continues in the Song of Solomon chapter 7 on Simply the Bible. Let's face it, anyone can fall in love. It's easy. Anyone can have a passionate honeymoon. But what happens after the honeymoon? What happens 5, 10, 20 years into the marriage? Is the fire still burning in the heart for each other? Is the couple still enraptured with each other and each other's love? Well, that's the question posed here in the Song of Solomon chapter 7. As the woman, after she had sort of repelled her husband's advances and then he left, is wondering, does he still love me the way that he loved me at first? And so we find that the man here begins by reaffirming to his bride that even though they've been married for a while, she is still all that to him. We continue in Song of Solomon chapter 7. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter! Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of a craftsman's hands. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are like the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath-Rabbim. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. How beautiful you are and how pleasing, O love, with your delights. Your stature is like that of the palm, and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said I will climb the palm tree, I will take hold of its fruit, May your breasts be like the clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. And so the man, whom we believe is Solomon, compliments his wife, who we think is Abishag, on ten of her attractive and lovely body parts. And this is very explicit. First, he begins with her sandaled feet that are beautiful. He just loves looking at her feet. Then he moves up to her graceful legs. Now, earlier he was talking about those who were gazing on his wife as though she were one of the dancers at Mahanaim. And so it's possible that she had been dancing for him, in which case he's looking at her legs and seeing them being very graceful. He says they are like jewels. Your legs are like jewels, the work of an artisan. Of course, because God is the artisan and what a beautiful creation that he has made. He then says that your navel is a rounded goblet full of wine. Now, it's not often that you hear a man complimenting a a woman on her navel, okay? But Keep in mind that these things he is mentioning, her legs, her navel, her waist, 
Uh, all of these things would normally be covered up in that culture. It is only in our culture where these are often exposed and they really should not be exposed because they are to be the delight of her husband alone. And so he is expressing just how much he does delight in every part of her. So the navel being a rounded goblet full of wine, wine, of course, being a symbol of enjoyment. And he's just saying, look, I enjoy every part of you, your navel too. Uh, Then I'm embarrassing myself here. Now, then he goes to her waist, which he says is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Now that just seems crazy to us. What in the world does that mean? And I think it's a stack of wheat. Imagine a stack of wheat that is tied in the center, but in the center, rather than just being tied with a cord, it's tied with a cord of lilies, if you can imagine such a thing. And it would form an hourglass of the wheat. And I think that's probably what he is saying here, is that her waist is like that wheat that's been tied in the center, encircled by lilies and very beautiful to him. Your breasts are like two twin fawns of a gazelle. This is the second time that he has said this. And the fact that he is repeating all this is saying that, listen, I love you every bit as much as I did before. And that's interesting because previously he talked about seven of her qualities. And now he talks about 10. So he's just even going into greater detail about each part of her. Your neck is an ivory tower. Again, this speaks of the fact that she had strength of character. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon. Now, they have done archaeological research and discovered these great reservoirs uh, in Heshbon, which were considered to be tranquil pools. In other words, when I look into your eyes, I am at rest. You bring tranquility. You bring contentment. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon, a sign of strength of character, sort of like the neck. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Now, I've actually been to Israel and I have seen Mount Carmel actually stood on top of it, but it's amazing how it will just come straight up from the desert floor and it is beautiful to look at and just majestic. And that's the idea here. Finally, he says, your hair is like royal tapestry. And the king is held captive by its tresses. Now, the Hebrew word refers to the long, unbound locks of her hair. Solomon is mesmerized by this long, flowing, shimmering hair that Abishag has. And it appears to him as one of the beautiful tapestries that hangs in his palace. Now, she responds to these compliments in verse 9. May the wine go straight to my lover, flowing gently over lips and teeth. It's interesting here that in the Hebrew, this is literally gliding over the lips of sleepers and probably speaks of the two falling asleep in each other's arms after making love and kissing one another. Then she says, I belong to my lover and his desire is for me. This is the third time the woman expresses their mutual belonging. And there is a progression in their commitment to one another. In 2.16, she said, my beloved is mine and I am his. He feeds his flock among the lilies. 
Now, David Hawking points out that this was first said during their courtship, and it shows their need for security. In 6.3, she said, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flock among the lilies. So after their marriage, she was indifferent to his desire for love when he came home late one night. But here she offers herself to him in submission. She says, I am my beloved. There is that commitment. And we must be committed to mutual submission. According to Ephesians 5.21, we're to submit to one another. And that must happen in marriage regardless of how we feel. Then here she says, I am my beloved's and his desire is toward me. So after he withdrew from her, she had insecurities about the relationship. Did he still desire her? Would the relationship remain as vibrant and mutually satisfying as it was at first? And now her fears are put to rest because she knows that his desire is toward her. This is the commitment that leads to stability long-term in the relationship. Now, hearing his wonderful compliments about her and knowing that his desire is now for her leads her to want to give him her love. So she makes a creative plan to do this. Verse 11, come, my lover, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom, there I will give you my love. The mandrakes send out their fragrance, and at our door is every delicacy, both new and old, that I have stored up for you, my lover. A change of scenery can do wonders for a marriage that has become routine and ordinary, dare I say, stale. So she imagines a weekend getaway into the country where they can rekindle their love. Out in the village and early in the morning, they will go out to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded. Have their blossoms opened? Are the pomegranates in bloom? Now, not only is she speaking of new growth and delightful fragrances, but budding vines and blooming pomegranates are also metaphors for their love. Is their marriage bed as verdant as it was in the beginning? She wants to give him her love, but she also wants to know that he loves her as much now as when they were first married. The mandrakes send out their fragrance. Mandrakes were believed to be an aphrodisiac. At the door of their love was every delicacy, both new and old, that she had stored up for him. There would be new and creative expressions of the love they had shared for so long. Now, I will never forget, one day, my wife, Cindy, picked me up on Friday after work. She said, come with me, and she put me in the car and drove me out to a bed and breakfast. She uh, opened up the trunk, and there she had packed everything that we would need for the weekend, and I knew nothing about this. She sort of just whisked me away, and I will never forget that. Ladies, if you want to get your guy's attention... Wow, that certainly did. Uh, Don't be afraid to take the initiative in something like that. And I think that that's what this woman was doing. She was saying, look, I want to give you my love, but I want to take you out into the country, into a new scenery, and we're going to take a walk together out in the country, and there I will give you my love, kind of a thing. Then she says, if only you were to me 
like a brother who is nursed at my mother's breast. Then if I found you outside, I would kiss you and no one would despise me. I would lead you and bring you to my mother's house. She who has taught me, I would give you spiced wine to drink the nectar of my pomegranates. Now this seems strange to us, but in that culture, public displays of affection were frowned upon. And if a woman did that publicly and say came up and kissed you, well, they would assume that she was a prostitute. So she is saying, look, I just wish you were like my brother, in which case I could kiss you and nobody would think anything of it. And then she sort of playfully imagines herself leading him into her mother's house and teaching him as her mother had taught her. And then she says, I would give you spiced wine to drink, the nectar of my pomegranates. These are all euphemisms for making love. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And so she's imagining just their time together. And but then she says, daughters of Jerusalem, maidens, I charge you, don't arouse or awaken love until it so desires. This idea that Sexual love, sexual drives are very powerful, very difficult to control if it's outside of the marriage. And so she warns them, again, do not engage in this until you are in that commitment, that covenant commitment of marriage where God has ordained it. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing to be enjoyed between two lovers. And yes, deeply into the marriage, years into the marriage should still be as vibrant as it was in the beginning. And God can help make it so. You've been listening to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. For more information about our church, please visit our website at calvarytv.org. To listen to other episodes, go to 941thevoice.com or check out our podcast on iTunes or Spotify. If you have any questions or comments, please contact us through our website. Tomorrow, we'll see where the woman speaks of the power of love, which is as strong as death and cannot be quenched. Finally, she flashes back to the time when love was first awakened in them. We hope you'll join us as we conclude the Song of Solomon on Simply the Bible. Simply the Bible